Well, thank you very much, Kevin and worship team. And again, great to see you this morning. If you're listening online later, it's great to uh, have you listening online later with us as well. Well, in uh, January of 2015, an assistant professor of biology at Caltech named uh, Yuki Oka was interviewed. And uh, I will tell you that I don't often speak the language of Caltech professors. Uh, But he had an interesting um, field of study. And his question was essentially this, why do people get thirsty at all? Isn't that weird? You're glad you came to church this morning. It's an interesting question, why in the world do we get thirsty, and how is it that we all tend to get thirsty? And here's what um, Professor Oka had to say about that, that as they began to do research, they realized that the brain has this ability to, and this desire to want to create what they call homeostasis, this balance of salt and water in the body. And whenever there's a, a lack of water and an increase of salt, it triggers something in humans and in animals to want to get something to drink. And they also noticed that in nature, when animals have that, triggered the other way and there's a desire for salt and not water, they're actually not even going to get food. They're first going to go for salt only. Like that's their desire. And so they began to study this even more and they realized that while this mechanism exists, there has to be something that triggers it, something that gets it going. And researchers realized that there's a part of the brain called the hypothalamus in which if you could stimulate the neurons in the hypothalamus, okay, trust me, bio is almost over, chemistry, whatever field of science this is, stay with me for a minute. You can actually stimulate the neurons in the hypothalamus and create an increased desire for water or decrease that desire for water in um, laboratory animals. In other words, if you took a mouse that was thirsty, because I don't know how a mouse knows it's thirsty, does it raise its, I don't know what it does, You put it on the treadmill, I don't know. Anyway, you take a mouse that's thirsty, you could actually make it not be thirsty by stimulating with light the neurons in the hypothalamus and it would trigger a message to the body that you are no longer thirsty. Vicariously, you could also tell a mouse that is uh, no longer thirsty and has all that it needs that it is indeed even more thirsty than it is by playing with the neurons in the hypothalamus and making it get even more thirsty. Isn't this awesome? Seriously, isn't that exciting? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Here's the point. It's pretty amazing to me that there is a part of our brain that is wired for thirst and can actually be stimulated and played with and worked to create different reactions and that somehow, to me, this triggers, this points us back to a creator God who made something, made us with this desire for thirst. And that if we do not drink, then we get in trouble. Our bodies do. And here's what we know, that all of us are thirsty, not only physically, but also spiritually. All of us are thirsty. All of us are. We have a constant desire for more. So in this series, String the Lights, we're in part three of four. I have used this image from the very beginning, and I hope it has been helpful for you. It is this um, party cup with a cup of, with a jug of water. And in week one in this series on joy, I essentially tried to convince us that our cup, our life, that we are designed or created to hold water, to hold joy. I said that we're designed for joy. This is the way God has made us. He's designed us to to have joy. And if you're with us, you know that the point is we're made this way and you would not think any differently about any cup than it's supposed to do its job. And I said, this is our job. We're made designed for joy. Tried to convince you of that in the scriptures. At the same time, I said, listen, your experience and mine is that pain pokes holes in all of us, right? And that's just the way that that is. And so if you've been here before, you know the exciting thing about to happen. I have a hole in this cup covered by my thumb. And that I said in week two, the pain in life creates holes in all of us in which joy comes leaking out in different places and ways, shapes, and forms. And the question is, what do we do with that pain? Okay. Now, here's what happens. If you have a cup that you get and it has a hole in it, 
The question becomes, when you get thirsty because there isn't enough left in the cup, where do you go to fill up your thirst? So for all of us, the question becomes this. When I pour certain things into my cup that give me joy, but they begin to drain out, how do I refill that cup? What do I put into it to get the joy that I had originally wanted? And the reality is that there are two... I'm going to pour this out so I don't get water everywhere. Um, Heidi, wherever you are. Our cleaning, our cleaning lady, right? Um, when I have this problem of the joy coming out of my life because of pain, how do I replenish that? How do I fill that back up? And there are, in my opinion, there's two major ways that we will try to fill that cup back up. Now, before I get into those two ways, which is really mostly what I want to talk about this morning, I want to acknowledge something first. And that is that everybody in this room or listening online later is in a different place relative to pain. Some of us have less pain right now, some have more, and that's just the way that life works. And so if you are in a period of life where you are in significant pain and struggle and hardship and difficulty, I want you to take um, a little bit of comfort and ease for a second. Okay, I, I, there may be no worse advice to give to someone going through great difficulty and struggle to say, well, like, God certainly has a plan for this in your life right now. I mean, how tone-deaf can that be, right, to, to miss the opportunity to walk alongside someone in the suffering? Uh, Henry Nouwen wrote it this way, and I love the way he put it. He said that our cup is often so full of pain that joy seems completely unreachable. When we are crushed like grapes, we cannot think of the wine that we will become. And I think he's right. When you're under the weight of it and you're being crushed by the weight of significant pain and struggle, it is a hard message to hear to say, trust me, weeping comes at the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's true, but the timing of that may not be right to say that yet, right? So the walking the journey with you, I just want to say that and acknowledge that for a minute. Now, I also want to say this, and then I'm going to move into the two things that I really want to talk to you about this morning. My little image of the cup here and my hole, let me get it right again, all right? Let me go back to this. Here's what I can communicate if I'm not careful, and that is, when I move my thumb, we know what's going to happen. This thing's going to leak. You can hear this message in this series that pursue joy, and here's what joy will do for you. It will do that. Like the joy, you can, hear the, you can hear this message if I'm not careful, that joy can cover the suffering and pain, then you won't experience that anymore. That, as if joy is an antidote that puts your thumb right back over the top of that hole in your life. But I want to tell you that joy doesn't do that. In fact, joy doesn't change the circumstances. The, the issue is how can I, while I have pain poking into my life, how can I still experience joy even when my cup leaks like this? Where can my cup be refilled? And that is at issue this morning. Where does, when this joy and life and hope and faith drains out of me, how can I get this refilled without just sticking my thumb on it and hoping and praying and sticking my head under the, the blanket of reality and hoping that it all goes away? Because that's not my message for you either. The circumstances I'm not telling you are going to change. The issue is, can I, in the middle of my circumstances, choose joy? And how do I refill this cup that all of us have that leaks because of the difficulty and pain of life? Okay? So, as I said, I believe there's, there are two major ways that people throughout history have tried to refill that cup, and I want to look at them with you. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want to go to an Old Testament book uh, called Jeremiah. Uh, the easiest way to find that is probably just to open your table of contents in your Bible 
and look for Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Um, Jeremiah was a prophet of God. He was the one whom God called on to share news and a message of essentially both judgment and hope with the nation of Israel. And in the beginning book of beginning of the book of Jeremiah, chapter two, Jeremiah lays out for the people of Israel God's assessment of them, and then ultimately talks to them about two things that are at issue in their life right now. So Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1 is where we are at. And by the way, if you do not own a Bible, and you see a Bible in the pew around you, sneak it out of here, and no one will care. It's our gift to you. We'd love to have you take a Bible with you on your way out if you do not own one. All right. I'm reading from the New International Version, Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. And this is what he's supposed to go tell them. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of the harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. All right, now pause it there for a second. This is an incredible opening uh, picture. Uh, if any of you have ever been married, remember the honeymoon stage of being married. Or if any of you have been in a dating relationship, you remember that honeymoon stage of dating. Uh, if you start a job, there's a honeymoon stage there as well. But I remember um, our honeymoon stage, and it was kind of like this, the way that Jeremiah describes it. Look, look the way he describes it in verse 2. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me, and you followed me through the desert, like I would walk through the desert, and you would follow me to a land not sown, like there wasn't even hope of a future, but you would follow me, like you're, you were just all in, didn't matter what, I mean, I, I just said, jump, you said how high, like I, I'd follow you wherever. And I remember when Jen, when Jen and I got married, I think I can tell the story while I'm into it now, I guess I'm going to tell the story. Um, uh, but we first got married, our first year we lived in a small apartment in, in uh, Gap, uh, I think, yeah, Gap, and uh, we had a small apartment-sized oven. Now, some of you I told this story to you. Kind of, kind of neat. I'm, I'm in it. All right. Uh, and so Jen, I mean, like first couple of months getting married, and like you want everything to be awesome, right? In the first couple of months. So Jen, Jen made a pan of brownies. You ever cook on an apartment-sized oven, like a small thing? Just don't follow the directions that it says on the box for a standard size oven, because here's what happened. We realized we, meaning Jen, um, realized you have to um, turn the oven on, bake for a little while. If you're doing brownies, turn it on, bake. But then it gets too hot too quickly, and so you either have to drop, just guess, instead of 350 or 450, 425, you've got to just drop it down to, I don't know, 250, you know, 185, I don't know what you drop down to. So we ended up, we, Jen, um, I didn't use the oven a whole lot, all right, we ended up uh, putting things in and then putting them on bacon and then flipping them to broil to try to get the top done, because it would like kill the bottom, and then the top is still not done, just the way that thing worked. So put the pan of brownies in, there's the brownies, uh, flip it to broil after a little while, and you forget about them. Yeah. You ever, anyone ever see like blue flames on top of brownies before? Because that's what happened to these guys. They actually literally were on fire in the oven, which is kind of interesting. I still remember the image was kind of neat. And so what do I do as a husband? Like, I'm like, that's okay, honey. Like, I'll eat them. Like, no problem. Like, and I told her, and I'm seriously, man, I'm like, we'll just scrape the top off. Like, it'll be totally fine. And she's like, no, it's terrible. That's terrible. Like, you know, I'm never going to be able to cook. And I'm like, no, 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 you're fine. Isn't that what we do, though, at young marrieds? And I would still do that now, honestly, because I still would probably eat the brownies anyway. But isn't that the spirit of the young married, right? Like, it doesn't matter. You burn the snot out of the brownies, no problemo. Like, I'll eat them anyway. I don't care because I love you, right? And, you know, weeks later, months later, 
remember we went up to my family in Connecticut, and, um, you know, we uh, were hanging out. We, we apparently were staying overnight in my, uh, my aunt's house, and so we had, like, a, a room to stay in with just a single bed. You ever tried to put a newly married couple in a room with a single bed before? I'm just saying, like, we, we didn't want, we, like, we enjoyed sleeping together. I'm like, I don't think that's going to work. Like, you're up there, and I'm on the floor. Like, I don't, I don't think so. We jammed in the single bed together, right? Like, that's just the spirit of the young married couple. Like, we, I will follow you through the desert no matter what, even to a land in which there is no opportunity for anything. And this is the way God describes the, the heart and the passion, the desire of the nation of Israel. And this is us, by the way, at our best, isn't it? This is us at our best, if albeit perhaps naive, but is this not us in humanity at our best when our passions are stirred, when we care again? Like, isn't this us at our best? And this is how God describes the nation of Israel. This is you at your best. You were willing to follow me. Remember that? You were willing to follow me wherever I needed you to go. And then, have you ever had a relationship where he said or she said, you get home, we need to talk. Because that's what God says next. That's what verse 4 says. Verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob. All you clans of the house of Israel, we need to talk. Verse 5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. That is a powerful statement because we become what we pursue, don't we? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Verse 6. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over the road, excuse me, cross over to the coast of Kittim and look, send to Keter and observe closely. Those two cities, by the way, would be akin to us saying, um, go look in New York and look in L.A. In other words, from east to west, from coast to coast. That's these two cities on either side. So in other words, what God is saying here is the entire land is like this, from New York to L.A. This is what's happening in the entire place, from Kittim to Cater. And observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. We have to talk, God says. Here's what's happening. You've exchanged your passion for me, for these worthless idols, and you're becoming what you're pursuing. And even the people who are most spiritual among you, the priests, do not care anymore. Look coast to coast, and you will see 
this is a cancer in the land, and this is a problem for you. It describes a terrible situation. What it doesn't do is answer the question of how did we get here? Why is this happening to the nation of Israel? What is going on that is making this become the problem that it is? If you were to solve the problem, you have to identify it first. If we're going to create a solution, what is it that has put them in this situation? How did they get here? And until we identify that from here. And so what is it that put them here? And verse 13 gives us two answers. And verse 13 gives us the two things, by the way, that we will try to fill our cups with when our cups run empty, when they get holes in the side and the joy and the life and the faith runs out. We have two options and they are laid out in verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What's he saying? In the land of Israel, in the nation of Israel, when you're looking for water, there are two water supplies. One is a spring that was a constant, reliable, cool, pretty clean source of water. And if you saw your neighbor have a land that it was spring-fed, they would grow great crops and things would ultimately go well for them because of their spring-fed land. If you do not have a spring on your land, you will do your best, and you will do your best because you want to work hard to create success for your future and for your children, your children's children. But you are going to have to dig a cistern. You're going to have to carve a pit out of the limestone that will likely be in the ground where you are, and you're going to have to plaster that limestone so that the water does not seep through. And if you know anything about plaster and limestone, of which I know almost nothing The one thing I do know and that you can observe and you can even figure out too is, listen, this stuff wears out over time just like any other material that we have. Limestone is especially soft, but plaster on limestone is not an awesome combination. And so when plaster cracks, all you need and you know it, you have uh, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 gallon cistern, whatever it might be, one little crack in it and you know it's game over and the water will go out of that cistern. And this is what God is saying to the people. I am the spring of living water. And I will feed you for generation upon generation upon generation. Consistent, cool, refreshing source of life. Let me ask you, why did you dig your own cisterns and fill them with plaster and expect that your cup can hold the joy that you're trying to pour in from those cisterns? Why would you do that? Why would you exchange the spring for the cistern? This is the problem the nation had. They followed worthless idols. They pursued their own interests. They dug their own wells for sources of joy and life and hope, and they rejected the spring of living water the God of the universe had to offer. And unsurprisingly, the joy has leaked out unsurprisingly, the hope has leaked out, and unsurprisingly, they find themselves in trouble. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said it this way. What does not satisfy when we find it was not the thing that we were desiring. What does not satisfy when we find it was not the thing that we were desiring. I know through my history, and maybe through yours if you're honest, we 
I, I will say I have a history littered with cisterns that I have dug, with places that I've gone separate from finding joy and strength and hope in my God, leaning into my strength, leaning into my desires, leaning into my interests. Regrets tell that story, by the way. Have you ever had to have something? Have you ever had to buy it? Have you ever had to finance it? Only a year later or six months later to regret that you have what you knew you had to have just a little bit ago. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in a relationship where all of a sudden you're, you're regretting, you're in the relationship that you absolutely knew you had to be in because they were certainly going to be the one to fill you and complete you? Only a few months, weeks, years later to realize, I don't even really want to be with you anymore. But you had to have it. I had to have it. The story of regret in our own life tells us in those moments we have indeed dug these cisterns in which we try to fill our leaking cups with joy of new things, new people, new possessions, new whatever. I ask the question, what are our cisterns? What are the things that we dig for to try to find joy and replace the joy that comes leaking out the side of our lives and out of our cup? There's all kinds of things, but in summary, I'll say this, a few things. Number one is relationships. I'm not against relationships, my goodness. Not against them at all, but here's what I mean by that. If you've ever dated someone, married someone, or got in a relationship with someone because they are going to be the people. They're going to be the ones to fill you out. They're going to be the ones who are going to complete you. They're the ones who will finally make you feel like you are loved and you belong. Only later on to be disappointed with your spouse, to be disappointed with your friend, to be disappointed with your roommate or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Have you ever felt that? And I'm just suggesting that perhaps if you're experiencing disappointment in your own marriage right now, if you're experiencing disappointment in the dating relationship right now, is it possible that you've asked that person to pour into your cup joy that they don't have to pour into your cup, that you've put on them an expectation that is never theirs to fulfill in the first place, that it's become a cistern which we hope to find joy for life through them. Is it possible? Is it possible that accomplishments are a cistern as well? Have you ever gotten to the end of accomplishing something pretty good and then asked the question, is this it? Like, now what's next? I finished my degree. Now what's next? I got the promo, right? New position. Started the business that's working. What's next? Got on the team. Made the playoffs. Got on the, uh, you know, made the cut for district, states, regional, of course. Did it. What's next? What happens when you tear your ACL? What happens when you get bronchitis? What happens when you can't perform and do the things that you thought were going to bring you so much joy? You're just going to pour in and dig that cistern to fill it with all the hobbies and accomplishments. What happens then? When there's a crack in the plaster and the water comes out. What happens with our possessions? The things that we have to buy have. I admitted last week, if you were here, that we were in the hunt for a new car, a new used car for us, and that I finally, after way too much research, uh, way too much, decided to, to nail it down and found a car that we finally liked at a local dealer, and uh, drove it, drove home in my own car, not the, the new one, because I asked the dealer for a little bit of time to process it, and he said, sure, it's fine. So I called him back at, within a half hour and left a message. Two and a half hours later, he called back and said, sorry, we just sold the car. 
To which, again, if you were here last week, I said, hey, consider it pure joy. And so right on the phone, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like, hey, sure, that's great that you're doing that, buddy. You know, thanks for making that happen. And so here was the corrective for me. I tried to honestly put this out for you last week and again this week. Here's the corrective for me. When I had this emotional reaction to the loss of possession, which I'm sure was going to finally bring me joy after all this research that I did to finally get the scar that I wanted. When I saw, you know what, good grief. It took me hours to process this. I'm thinking, you know, here's the reality. Here's the gift of that moment for me. I'm digging over here. Like, I'm, I'm just digging over here. I'm looking for, like, will this new thing get me what I want? And I'm out of step with, honestly, with my faith the way it should be, to be very honest. That I'm, I wasn't looking for God to be my delight. Like, my delight was going to be in this vehicle. And so we have a vehicle this week, by the way, which is great. But the vehicle is in context of my my faith with my God saying, this is secondary now. And I think last week it would have been like, this is awesome. It would have been misplaced for me. And so these categories, what are our cisterns? Is it relationships? Is it accomplishments? Is it possessions? Or is it, here's the broad category, anything shiny, anything distracting. And the, the, the issue is simply this, that when our cup kind of leaks out the side, the issue is where are we going to fill it with? And all of us would say, when we want to fill it with the spring of living water, who wants to dig your own cistern? But left to ourselves, it is not difficult to begin putting more expectation on the people around us or the jobs that we have, the things that we do, the family that we're a part of, our hopes and dreams for the future. And they're not meant to fill the cup. They never can. They weren't designed for it. Plaster will always crack and cisterns will ultimately always leak. But springs of living water are very, very different. When Jesus was walking the planet, he had to walk from Judea up to Galilee Judea is in the south, Galilee is in the north, and there's a land in between them, a land called Samaria. And the Samaritans lived in this land, and the Samaritans, if you know um, history at all, were despised by the Jews. And so any good Jew would walk around Samaria to get from Judea up to Galilee. Jesus decided one day to take his disciples with him through Samaria on his way from Judea to Galilee. And as they were walking up through Samaria, they came to a well. And there was, of all people, a woman at that well. And Jesus, of all things, engaged this woman at the well on the issue of thirst. What makes you thirsty? And in the conversation that Jesus was having with this woman at the well, and she was drawing water and asked if he wanted any, here's what he ended up saying to her about what he had to offer. Here's what he said. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus putting himself in the same category that God put himself in Jeremiah. And all of us have a trigger for thirst. We all do. Chemically, yes, it's in the hypothalamus, neurons, whatever you want to do with that. All of us have a trigger for thirst. And Jesus is saying, I'm the spring of living water. I will forever satisfy you. I'll forever give you things to pour into that cup, even as it leaks out in this life. And so please do not put on the people around you or the possessions around you or the accomplishments around you 
Please do not put on them the things that they cannot bear. Do not put on those cisterns the expectation that they will always last. They will not. Come back to me. Come back to the passions of your youth. Remember how things were when you first loved me. And you'd follow me anywhere. So I want to ask you this morning. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus as the spring of living water? the one who can fill your cup, the only one who can, even as there's holes in this life, even as things will leak out. Do you know him today? Even if you've been in church for 10, 20, 30, 50 years, do you know him? Do you know the joy that he brings? Do you know the life that he brings? Do you, do you know him? Do you know the spring of living water? Do you receive that refreshment in your heart? from the hope of eternal life and the constant reminder that God has made you to delight in Him and to delight in the things around you. Do you know Him this morning? Do you know Him? Because in a few moments, we're going to be celebrating communion this morning together, the reminder that Jesus died, came back to life, was resurrected for you and for me. It's a beautiful, sorrowful thing all at the same time. And so as we think about doing that together as a church, I just... I want you to take a moment to to pause around this issue here of joy. I've confessed to you from the beginning of the series. This series is more for me, the beginning, than for anybody else. Like I'm telling you, I'm walking this journey with you. Like I want to be known as more joyful than I am. I'm thirsty for that. And And I want you to be too. The Holy Spirit can work on all of us with that, but I want that for us. We believe here at GPC that Jesus Christ came to die for us. It's very simple and yet profound. It is by grace through faith in Jesus that we are saved and have eternal life. And so if you've been sitting in church for a while and you've heard that before, but you do not feel, you don't experience, you're not into, somewhere along the line you've walked from that first passion. You become dispassionate. You become a little less caring. You move from that. I just want to tell you, Jeremiah 2, 1, 2, 3. Read it again. See it again and ask, am I there? Or have I done what the nation of Israel has done and created worthless idols that I'm becoming like the worthless idols that I have made? And this is the hope of the gospel, that no matter where we are, we can come back to the spring of living water. I just want to encourage you with that. Don't walk from this moment without asking again, am I drinking from the spring of living water? And I would love to talk with you about that, because that is what we are here for at GPC. Marty, who was up here earlier, would be happy to talk with you about that. Kevin, who prayed for us, would be happy to talk with you. We want to encourage that next step for you as you continue in your faith journey. But please, Do not, do not, do not try to build and dig your own cisterns and then wonder why they leak over time. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Bring us a spring of living water. Do you know him? Will you pray with me here this morning? Father, I want to take this moment that we have, this opportunity to stop and be here and present in this moment. I pray for us as a people right now that those of us who need to stop and look at this issue honestly of our relationship with you and whether we even have one or if we have one and become dispassionate and uncaring and have 
lost interest in you over time. I pray that you would give us great uh, grace to be honest about that ourselves and the opportunity to see you with your great love and mercy draw us toward repentance. We know, and the New Testament tells us, that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. Not your judgment, not your anger, but it is the mercy and kindness of God that draws us into repentance. And so I pray for us this morning, if we're in a position where we need to repent, where we just need to say, yeah, I'm following an idol. Like I'm digging a cistern in my relationship with my wife or husband. I want them to do more than they were made to do. I pray that you would help us to confess that and honestly repent of that this morning and not put on them the burden that isn't theirs to bear. I pray that you'd help us to be honest with our accomplishments, with our hobbies, that we would not put things in the place of you as if our work on the side is meant to to bring great joy that you cannot have. I pray that you'd help us to repent where we need to on those issues. I, I pray that you'd help us in this moment to be honest with ourselves, to reawaken this love for you, this desire to have you lead us and provide us with the well and spring of living water. For those this morning who don't know you at all, who are just beginning a faith conversation, just trying to figure this out, I pray that you would give us opportunity to have a conversation because that's what we want more than anything this morning is a chance to talk and connect about how in the world can we keep moving this forward and what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the moment that we have to share here and I pray that you give us courage not to get off this spot until we've done some business here with you and maybe with those around us that ultimately we can continue to come back to the source of living